our scripture for today is Psalm 132. It's printed on page 10 of the bulletin and projected on the screen behind me. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your dwelling place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. The word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon again. It's good to see you all. Um, just a couple of announcements um, before we get started. Uh, next week, Brian is back, so we are excited. He will finish his three-month sabbatical, and um, yeah, can't wait. He'll be in the office on Tuesday. It'll be really fun to see him and get to connect and hear how things went, and I'm sure he'll share a lot with us uh, next week. So I'm just thankful. Uh, it's been a fun summer. Y'all have been uh, exceedingly kind to me as I transition into this role. So thank you for that. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, okay, two, two quick announcements just about the fall. You're about to get flooded with stuff for the fall. And so just want to put two seeds, uh, plant two seeds so that you'll remember what's happening. We are going to do Sunday school this fall. Immediately after the service, from 5.30 to about 6.30, um, all the nursery kids, uh, 5.6 will start, middle school and high school youth group, and we're going to have adult Sunday school as well. Before, when we've done it, we, sometimes we've had some stuff, sometimes we haven't. This time, every time there's uh, children's Sunday school, we're having an adult Sunday school class. It's going to look... Um, a little bit, it's gonna, we're going to switch it up every couple weeks. There'll be other t- different topics that we talk about. We'll do a building update at the end of September. Um, uh, the Hollands are going to share about foster care and adoption in September. In August, we'll have a, a children's ministry and youth group parents meeting um, in that time on August 28th. But through October, November, December, we are going to have adult Sunday school looking at different topics, hearing from different people. And so uh, would love for that to be part of your rhythm 
um, this fall, that you would worship with us, stick around, there'll be food provided, um, so kids will be able to eat, and there'll be some adult food as well. Um, we haven't figured that out yet, but we'll have um, maybe not pizza, something other than pizza for adults, and so um, just encourage you to make that part of your schedule. Um, that would be really great. We're also starting community groups back up. Um, they'll start uh, the week out of Labor Day. Uh, and so a couple things with that. We're going to try something new this fall. We've had so many new folks and visitors to the church. Um, and we've been trying to place folks in community groups. And some folks are plugged in. If you're new, we're going to try a newcomer's community group this fall. And it's going to be a short seven-week community group. It'll start in September. It'll finish at the end of October. Brian and Jeanette are going to host it at their home on Tuesday evenings. Tim and Emily Bates are going to help out with it. And it'll just be a chance for you to get a picture of what life at Trinity looks like. Everybody's welcome to that, uh, especially if you're new. And then what we'll do at the end of October, beginning of November, is place you into one of our 15 existing community groups. So it's a chance for you to kind of get to know Brian and Jeanette, get to know other new people at the church, and then we'll place you guys into community groups in November. Those of you who've been around for a while, uh, maybe you're already in a group, um, and you can stay in that group. There's going to be an email coming out on Wednesday, August 24th, that will give you the opportunity to commit to your group again. If you want to try a new group, there'll be an opportunity for you to switch uh, to a new community group. If you're not in a community group, if you have been at the church but never plugged into a community group, it'll give you an opportunity to sign up. And we're going to try to give you a lot of information on what night our community groups meet on or when Sunday morning, what they're studying, whether childcare is available or not, all of that stuff you'll have on Wednesday, August 24th. You can fill that form out online and then we'll uh, reach back out to you and help you get plugged in to community groups when they start in September. Okay. If you have questions, if you're not sure about any of that, if you want information, particularly if you're new, uh, come find me after the service. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. I think the newcomers community group is going to be a really fun way for folks to onboard kind of into the life of our church, um, get to hear about different ministry opportunities that we work with and um, ways that you can plug in and serve. It'll just be a great opportunity for you to... Um, kind of get settled into the church and then get plugged into a community group, okay? Um, those are all my announcements. Uh, kids, a couple of things for you to listen for in the sermon. Uh, first one's King George. Uh, it, the, it's on the front of the bulletin, so you've got to listen to King George. We'll talk about King George from Hamilton. Um, uh, second, the special meaning of the word house in Hebrew. So we're going to talk about the word house, what it means, uh, a couple different meanings in Hebrew. And then about a lamb, a story in the Bible about a lamb. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll dig into this passage together. Lord God, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth and life to us, that you are good to us. Uh, you remind us of your covenant love for us, that you are committed to your people, that you are good. Would we see that even now? Help us to submit. Help us to trust you as our king and to rejoice that we are a part of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, Um, if you've been around at all this summer, we have been working through the Songs of Ascent. It's this little mini book inside the book of the Psalms. So 150 Psalms, 15 Songs of Ascent, Psalms of Ascent, 120 through 134. Um, We're doing 132 tonight, so this is the last of the triads. It is going to bother me more than you that we are not going to get to 133 and 134. We are going to have to come back to those at some point. Uh, I've already told Brian, like, we're going to get to them. Maybe it might not be till the beginning of next summer, but we are going to finish the Songs of Ascent. But we've run out of weeks in the summer. Uh, We're going to pick up with um, Brian's uh, What I Learned on Sabbatical next week and then do a three-week series kind of on the mission of our church. What does it mean to embrace and embody the hospitality of the gospel? So we will come back to 133 and 134, but it's okay. They're very similar. So this final triad, the last three of the Songs of Ascent, have a similar theme, and they're all Uh, One scholar calls them like arrival psalms. So if you remember, these songs are songs that are sung by the people of Israel as they travel three times a year from their homeland up to Jerusalem. And so they are singing some on the journey, but when they make it to Jerusalem, they sing these last three songs of ascent. And they're beautiful reminders of the importance of Jerusalem, but also the importance of God's commitment to his people. Uh, One scholar says this, These psalms are all centered in Zion, Jerusalem. The pilgrimage is past. Home has been reached. Yet there is movement within the three. From the objective facts of city and monarchy as divinely chosen and established, we'll talk about that today in 132, to the heaven-sent fellowship of the Lord's family, that's the unity that's talked about in 133, and to the actuality of standing in the very presence of the Lord himself in Psalm 134. This is the end of the pilgrimage, the Lord with us, the church in perfect fellowship, the Lord's servants in the Lord's sanctuary. So we're going to get a glimpse tonight of what it feels like to have arrived in Jerusalem. To do that, we've got to give some history. This psalm, Psalm 132, is kind of the one song of ascent that really sticks out, partly because of its length, right? Last week, Psalm 131 was three verses, and 133, the next psalm, is three verses, and this one's 18 And it actually goes through a lot of the history of the nation of Israel as it relates to King David. And so we need to do a little scope of Old Testament history, uh, if you'll bear with me for just a minute. I think it'll be helpful for us as we think about what it means um, to, to read this song about kings. So... Genesis 1, if you flipped all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, God created everything that there is out of nothing, and he created it for his glory and for the good of his people. And he created Adam and Eve to be in perfect relationship with them, and he gave them these these responsibilities to fill the earth and subdue it so that the whole earth would be full of the glory of God. That was the idea from the beginning that the whole earth would be filled with God's glory. And you get a page and a half in, and it's ruined by the fall. 
Adam and Eve sin, and everything breaks. They're kicked out of the garden. Death enters the world. There's brokenness, tragedy. All of these things happen. And yet God remains faithful to his people and to his promises and says, I will bring about redemption in the world so that ultimately the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. If you flipped all the way to Revelation, the picture of Revelation 21 and 22 is the same, very similar to the picture of Genesis 1 and 2, that God's glory would fill the whole earth. But how do we do that? Well, God decides in the beginning chapters of Genesis up until Genesis 12, 15, 17, to bless one nation and through that one nation to be a blessing to the rest of the world, like a a conduit. So God would have this special relationship with one group of people, one nation, and through that special relationship, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's how we're going to do it now. Instead of Adam and Eve, right, it was supposed to be just Adam and Eve having babies, and those babies having babies, and babies and babies, and it fills the earth with the glory of God. Now we're going to go a conduit. We're going to bless Israel, and through Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The people of Israel, by the end of Genesis, uh, find themselves in Egypt, At the beginning of Exodus, they find themselves enslaved to the Egyptians. The people of Israel cry out to God for salvation. And he brings a deliverer, Moses, to deliver them from slavery in Egypt through the Exodus. He gathers his people to himself. Uh, He shows his, his, his superiority to Pharaoh and all of the Egyptian gods right, Um, the parts the Red Sea, the Israelites pass through, the Egyptian army is destroyed, and the people of God are sent, are together as this sort of proto-nation, right, they're, they're together, they start to wander in the wilderness, they grumble, there's all this complaining, all of these things, but they are together. In these, in this time, God wants to remind them that he is still with them, even as they wander, that he is their God, and they are his people. And so he, he instructs the Israelites to build a tabernacle, a tent. And in that tent would rest, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, would rest the Ark of the Covenant. It was this box. It was mm, almost four feet wide this way, maybe a little over two feet like this and a little over two feet like this. Not very big. Wooden box uh, covered in gold with these uh, cherubim, right, these angel-like being things on them with wings that come back. It's the mercy seat. And it was, um, our passage today calls it God's footstool. So imagine him on his throne in heaven and his feet rest on the mercy seat. But his presence is with the Israelites. And they would take the Ark of the Covenant and they would walk it. There were all these special instructions about what to do with it and how to move it around. And it would move, when, when they were given instructions to move, they would move. And then when, the, when they stopped, that's where they'd camp. And they ended up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. They're led by Joshua uh, into the promised land. And the nation of Israel is formed with God as their king. But all the other nations have, king, have, have human kings. 
Some good, some bad, mostly bad. But the Israelites see those kings and say, it's weird that God is our king. We want, a, we want a human king. We want a king like all the other nations of the world. And God says, okay, you can have a king. And so Saul becomes the first king of the nation of Israel. Not a great king. Um, David is soon after anointed as king, right? And goes through this arduous journey you can read in Kings and Samuels and the Samuels and all about the life of David as he goes from being anointed through all of this um, all of these ups and downs to becoming king but David finally becomes king of Israel and he is a good king he makes some mistakes for sure um, sins grievously against the Lord but he is a man after God's own heart and um, our psalm today picks up the echoes of 2 Samuel 7. This picture of David making this promise to the Lord. Now here's what's happened. David is the king in Jerusalem and lives in a palace. And they've lost the ark. If you read 2 Samuel, the beginning of 2 Samuel, they, they've lost the ark. The ark was captured by the Philistines. Um, one, one commentator said that the Philistines took the ark. It became too hot to handle. If you remember, everybody started getting sick and all these terrible things started happening. So they run it back over the line into Israel, right? And it lands at this little town called Kiriath-Jerim. And uh, it's there for like 20, 25 years, and so David says, Lord, it doesn't make sense that I live in a palace, a house, and you live out in the wilderness. I'm going to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and I'm going to build you a house. Now, that word house, by it in Hebrew, really can mean three different things can mean a house like we live in, a house, just a normal house, or a palace, you know, wooden palace like David would have lived in in those days. It also can mean a house of worship, a temple. And so David says, it doesn't make sense that I live in a house, a palace, when God lives in the wilderness. He needs to live in a temple, right, this house of worship. And if you read 2 Samuel 7, God comes and says, thank you, no. You're not going to build a house for me. Your son will do that. Solomon will do that. More importantly, God says, I'm going to build a house out of you. And that third meaning of the word house is of a dynasty, of a legacy of, of, of kings, and God says in 2 Samuel 7, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build a house out of you. Now, what in the world does that have to do with August 14th, 2022? Let me see if I can get at it this way. A couple of things. That's all background. We'll, we'll get into some of that. Our, our psalm... Uh, breaks down in two parts, 1 through 10 and 11 through 18. 1 through 10 is David 
the psalmist remembering David's commitment to build the Lord a house and to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. 11 through 18 is recounting God's oath to David to make a dynasty out of him, that there will be a ruler on the throne forever. Now, first thing, what does this have to do with us? We have this weird fascination in our society with kings, right? It's fun to watch The Crown, right, on Netflix, or, to, you know, if it's some, uh, what was Jubilee celebration, right, um, for Queen Elizabeth, we get all geeked out about that. Some of us do, anyway. But when it's, uh, when, it, when it gets a little real to us, when we think about what it would be like to actually have a king, right? This is where king, the, the representation of King George and Hamilton is so perfect, right? That there's these, um, the song You'll Be Back, it's one of my favorites in the musical. Maybe you're familiar with it. There's just a, a piece of it printed on, your, on the front of your bulletin. Uh, but he says things like this. Why so sad? Remember, we made an arrangement when you went away. Now you're making me mad. Remember, despite our estrangement, I'm your man. He's claiming this authority over the American colonies, right? Then the chorus, you'll be back, soon you'll see. You'll remember you belong to me. You'll be back, time will tell. You'll remember that I served you well. Oceans rise, empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. And then it goes on at the end. Maybe you're not familiar with it at the end. Um, Till my dying days, when you're gone, I'll go mad. So don't throw away this thing we had. Because when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. Those are the, this gets a little, it's a little close to home to us. There is something about declaring our independence that we just love. We don't want to be ruled. No armed battalions coming our way. And there is something defiant in us, right? We want to resist a king in a lot of areas of our life. Maybe it's um, in, a, in, in your workplace. You have a boss that tells you what to do, and they can, they're your boss, but you push against it every opportunity you get. Kids, it's hard to have parents. It's hard to be a parent. Um, and you, you may know what it feels like to rebel against your parents in big and small ways. You don't want to have somebody tell you what to do and when to do it, right? And yet, at the same time, there is something of a cry for a king in all of us. If we've been mistreated, if we've suffered injustice, we, we, want, we want justice now. We want someone to come and make things right for us. We want the guilty to be punished. There's something good about that need for a king. There's something in us that when we suffer, really cries out, for justice. 
for a king. And so to hear these words that David says, I'm going to be this king. I want to build a house for you. I want to set this up for your glory, like he does in verses 1 through 10. It's helpful to us. It shows us that we actually, the way that life is lived best is lived under the authority of the king. The Lord as our king. In the first couple of verses, the psalmist is writing here and says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. It is as if the psalmist is remembering all that David did to, so, to see that the Lord would be glorified, that he would be honored, and that, that king, the, his role as king would be established. His number one priority was to be obedient to the Lord, was to submit to his kingship. In verses 6 and 7, we talk about this Ark of the Covenant, the importance of bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, that it would be established. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it, that's the Ark of the Covenant, in Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. The psalmist is calling the people to worship, to submit themselves under the authority and headship of, king, of, the, of the king. As David led the people in obedience to the Lord, he was being a good king. And as the people followed David, they were being good subjects. Verses 8 through 10. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. This was written um, early. A lot, with a lot of the psalms of David, it was actually, this psalm was used in Solomon's enthronement ceremony. Um, but it was compiled late in the exile, likely. Scholars believe that this last book of the psalms were compiled, put together, um, it, once the people of Israel had uh, gone into exile. So David is king, and his line lasts about 400 years. And then in early, early 500s-ish BC, uh, the people of Israel are taken into exile by a foreign nation. They are, have to give up their land and there no longer sits a king on the throne. But they're crying out at this moment, do you, for the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Because of what David did, because of the oath that he swore, because uh, he was a good king, because he trusted and obeyed the Lord, don't turn your face away. And 11 through 18 give us this picture of the Lord's answered prayer. Uh, it, we'll almost printed it in the bulletin this way, 1 through 10 in one column and 11 through 18 on the other. If you put them side by side like that, you can actually see this parallelism. You can see these um, where David swore in an oath 
He vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. And then in verse 11, the Lord swore to David a sure oath. So you have this response. David swears an oath, he vows, and then the Lord swears an oath to David. He says, he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. The promise of the Lord is that someone from David's line would rest forever on the throne. And so the people of God at this moment in exile are having to believe this by faith. It is not a present reality for them, but they know that it is the best thing for them. Right, Their best and highest good would be to have one of David's heirs on the throne forever. He is the hope of the world, the one who will set everything to rights. And if he were on the throne, we would be okay. And so they, they pray to the Lord and the Lord answers and says, one of your sons, one of your body, I will set on the throne forever shall sit on the throne. And then you see in this next section the blessings that God gives to his people. The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Do you hear that I will language over and over and over again? The Lord has sworn an oath to David. One of your descendants will be on the throne forever, and I will bless him. And through the king, all of my people will be blessed. Their worship will be blessed I will satisfy their poor with bread. The priests will clothe with salvation. Her saints will shout for joy. There are a couple of images in here of the beauty of the king. In verse 17, a horn to sprout for David. This is a picture of power, right? If you think um, some of you maybe have done the, the stockyards, like the cattle drive thing, right? And they move at like a, a glacial pace, right? I mean, there's nothing impressive about their speed, but what's impressive? These massive, massive horns. It's something spectacular, and that was a picture, even in the Old Testament, of power, of strength and might. He says, I prepared a lamp for my anointed. This is a picture of light, of goodness, and of clarity, of judgment, of wisdom. All of these things that the king is going to have. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. He is going to rule forever. So even though there's a temptation in us to resist king. We see in this psalm, this picture of David's work to be the king that the Lord desired. To build him a house, to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and more importantly, we see the Lord's commitment to David and his descendants. 
to say, no, I'm going to give you a house, a dynasty, and someone from your, from your line will rule forever, and he will be powerful and strong and wise and mighty and good and glorious and holy, and he will rule forever. So, so what do we do with that? What does it mean? How do we live under the rule of the king? Well, the king doesn't come in the New Testament at all like we would expect. Certainly, the people of Jesus' day didn't think he was the king. He doesn't come in power, riding this great steed, born into a palace. He comes born in a manger to peasants. But he brings the kingdom nonetheless. Luke 4 tells us Jesus comes. One of the first words of his ministry are about the kingdom. How Jesus is coming to bring the kingdom. Matthew 1 verse 1. The first verse of the New Testament says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David. The son of Abraham. Revelation gives us this picture As well, it's printed on the uh, words of reflection in your bulletin, Revelation 5. This picture of, of Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. All the way through the New Testament, we get these pictures of Jesus as the, the one who is coming in the line of David to rule forever. And God tells John, behold, the lion of Judah. And John turns, and instead of seeing a lion, do you remember what he sees? He sees a lamb slaughtered. Verse 6 of Revelation 5. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." The Lion of Judah, the strong and mighty and wise and holy one, is the Lamb. Who, though he was perfect, died on a cross in our place, was sacrificed for us. He rose from the dead, conquering death once and for all. He then ascended into heaven and is seated on the throne right now. Right now, Jesus is on the throne, exalted and mighty, but he is the lamb who was slain. He still bears the marks of his crucifixion. He didn't come as we would expect, but he is everything that we need. He is the king who is easy to submit to. Now, I will fight that in my own heart. But if I read the Bible, 
carefully and clearly, he is the one who is easy to submit to. How could you not submit to Jesus, who has done all of this for you, lived the life you couldn't, died in your place, was raised to new life for you? He is the one who holds a claim on your entire life. Every minute, every second is guided by his sovereign care. And he has promised good to you. He is not a king who is hard to follow. The picture in the New Testament of the disciples, (laughs) they just drop everything. They leave their careers. They leave their family because Jesus is worthy of being followed. The picture in the later New Testament is of people dying for their faith, martyrs, giving their lives because Jesus is worth following even to death. I will submit to King Jesus. Even if it means I lose my life, I will submit to King Jesus. He is good and gracious and loving and caring. He has moved toward us. And so the call to us is to follow. It's to remember his goodness. It's to see that he is easy. He's easy to submit to. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Give your life to him. As you set about going to work tomorrow, going to school, sorry guys, going to school for the first time, you're going to meet teachers. They're going to have expectations for you. You're not going to like them, right? Bosses are going to give expectations to employees. You're not going to like them. There are demands on our family. We don't like them. The demands of Jesus are to return the love that he has given to you. He's easy to follow. He's easy to serve. He has accomplished everything for us. The Lord has sworn an oath. He's made these promises. He will not fail to keep his promises. And so tomorrow, we can trust him. We can go into whatever's before us knowing that he is in charge. And that's actually good for us. We can give up control because he's got it. And he knows what's best. Even if it's hard, we can trust him. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good, kind, and loving. You're our king. Pray that you would meet us. Remind us as we partake of this meal that you love us, that you've accomplished everything that we need for salvation, that you are good to your people. It's a joy to follow you, Lord. Would you give us that joy even now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.